Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. If you're looking for more purpose, more passion, more joy in your life, then you have come to the right place. I am your host, coach and life alchemist, Sharin Eskandani, and I have worked with thousands of people showing them how to create their dream lives while also living their dream lives. This podcast is where mindset, mindfulness, and manifestation meet. Together, we're going to release limiting beliefs, put your dreams into motion, all while prioritizing your ease, rest, and joy. Let's do this, love. Welcome to Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast. This is where we take a deeper dive into my Mindset Monday post, which you can read on Instagram at Wholehearted Coaching. Or if you want to go even deeper into this week's episode and get my free weekly journal prompts, sign up for my email list and you'll be able to explore the topics we're talking about in this episode even further. You can do that in the show notes or by heading to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com. And if you're interested in working with me, whether that's one-on-one in one of my group programs or one of my transformational courses, you can head to my website, wholehearted-coaching.com slash offerings to find out more. And of course, you can also head to the show notes and all of this information will be waiting for you there. All right, love, welcome to this week's episode. Last week, I announced that we're doing things a little differently for the month of May. Instead of the episodes being just me, I am spending the next few weeks interviewing four incredible, amazing women, looking at the topic of decolonizing ourselves and decolonizing our lives. Now, I know that that is a word that word decolonization is super popular right now, And it's kind of become a bit of a buzzword, but it's something that is really closely connected to my heart. It's something that I have really been actively trying to do within both my personal and professional life. And so what is decolonization? To me, in a really simple way, it's really questioning. It's questioning what we believe we're supposed to do and what we should do. It's questioning why we believe the things that we believe and why we dream in the way that we dream. Decolonization is something that is for all of us. It is not just for a certain group of folks. So if you're listening to this thinking, well, I don't know if this conversation is for me. Love, if you are a human being, this is a conversation for you. We all have an inner colonizer within us that tells us that we're supposed to be a certain way, act a certain way, dream a certain way. And this series is about burning it all down, about redefining and reclaiming how we want our lives to feel, to look like, and to be. The four women that I have interviewed and that you will hear have all gone through this process themselves And they share so openly about how they came to where they are today, what it was like for them, and what helped them. And in today's episode, the conversation that I had with Sharon Jameson was one of the most powerful interviews, conversations that I have been part of. In this episode, we talk about how we can decolonize our imaginations and our dreams 
And if you're part of the wholehearted community, you know that this is something I talk about often of how our dreams are kind of limited within this box of what people tell us is possible for us. And Sharon is telling us to break out of that box. This interview, I mean, let me tell you, Sharon took me to church, okay? I am not a religious person. I am a spiritual person. But the conviction with which Sharon speaks with, you just, you just, get moved. You get moved in all of the most beautiful ways. And you feel like, oh yes, this speaks to my soul. Like I I was honestly, when I interviewed her speechless at moments, like even when I was like listening to her speak, I was like, I I need to write this down. I need to take a moment. Can we pause? Cause I need to replay that myself. So this, this, this interview, okay, just get ready. It is so incredibly good. Sharon Jameson is a life strategist, author, minister, entrepreneur, and corporate leader who is committed to helping people be who they were born to be and not settle for what society has taught and told them to be. She combines the power of leadership, healing, spirituality, and justice to empower people to shed societal shoulds and courageously confront oppressive narratives to create environments where all can thrive. Sharon earned a Bachelor of Arts from Hampton University, Hampton, Virginia. She earned a Master of Business Administration from Nova Southeastern University, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Sharon is currently an Associate Minister at the Victory for the World Church in Decatur, Georgia. If you are ready to be moved, let's get into this conversation with Sharon Jameson. All right, everyone. So we have an incredible episode. We we haven't even had the conversation yet. This is like, I'm introducing our guest. And when I first met this guest, we were both speaking on a workshop on a panel. And I was entranced. I was fixated. I wanted to like get off of the panel, go into the audience and just listen to them speak because they are so full of wisdom and they speak in such a way that it uplifts you and it challenges you to go beyond what you think is possible in the most beautiful aligned way. And so when I heard them speak, I was like, I have to have them on this podcast. So everyone, welcome to this episode, life strategist, Sharon Jameson. Sharon, thank you so much for being here. And I am so grateful. I am so grateful. I'm so inspired by you and your work. Like I told you, I have been following you for years and I look for you for inspiration. I look for you as another voice that speaks truth. I look for you because of how you witness. And I think our lives are witness and a testament to who we are and what we have been called to be or what we can cultivate ourselves to be. And so I'm grateful to be here in this sacred space with you. So thank you. Oh my gosh. The love and the appreciation and the inspiration is so mutual. I am such a fangirl. And thank you again, really, for being here. This whole series is about decolonization, decolonizing our lives. And it's such a big word. And it's a word that I think we're hearing more and more of, thankfully, 
I would love to hear from you. We'll, we'll talk about like the personal side of what that looks like for you. But what does that term decolonizing or decolonizing our lives, what, is, what does that mean to you? Sure, sure. To me, decolonizing our lives is the intentional, consistent, courageous, untethering, unrooting, unlearning, uncompromising way of questioning how we have been conditioned, how we have been indoctrinated in ways that don't allow us to honor ourselves. Mm. Decolonizing is challenging and confronting all the ways that we have been imposed upon, that we have been imprisoned by someone else's culture and customs and ways that they communicate. It is the way of unleashing ourselves and unleashing our own power by simultaneously dismantling what we have learned and constructing a new understanding of who we are. It is a process of self-definition, self-liberation, self-determination. It is what we must do to live a life of wholeness and wellness. Because when we have been imposed upon and financially, systemically, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally been robbed of our own culture, we are robbed of our humanity. And we are robbed of our dignity. And so decolonization is reclaiming and recouping and rediscovering and reactivating and reinterpreting who we are, not only to ourselves, but to each other, but also to our creator. Because we are born and we were created in the image of our creator. And what colonization does is to disconnect us from our creator and disconnect us from ourselves. Mm. And so it is a process that we have to do. It's intentional and it's courageous and it's not a, a, a right way, a wrong way to do it, but we have to follow our soul. It's a way of activation that allows us to see what God had in mind when God created us. And it's a powerful thing to do. Wow. So even there, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to stop the podcast here and reflect on what you just said so powerful. And I think you touch upon something that I think is a big part of decolonization, which is that it robs us or makes us believe that we are not whole. However you want to say that, whether it's a connection to God or spirit or what that, that inherent wholeness that we all have, I think that is the process of decolonization, which is to make one feel like they are not whole as they are. When we think about decolonization, it's, it's a process of fracturing us. Yes. And so it makes us show up in a fragmented way. When we are fragmented, we're not full and we're not full. We're not forceful. We're not forceful. We're not faithful. Right. And so there's all these ways that is so systemic. It's a way of disempowering us. And if you can disempower someone you can affect seven generations behind you and seven generations of before you. So that's why it's, it's, we have to remedy that. And the challenge is sometimes based on where you are in that colonization process, how long you have been indoctrinated, sometimes you feel like you don't have roots to rebuild. But I want people to know that's a lie. You can always rebuild. 
Mm-hmm. Because it's not about what you lost, it's what you have left. So what part of you do you have left? That means we have to share our stories, that we have to talk to our, our senior citizens and our, and our seasoned citizens. It means that we have to talk to the spirit to help us recoup and recapture. And even if we only have pieces, we still can make it with broken pieces and put Humpty Dumpty metaphorically back together <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So speaking of this, I would love to hear a little bit about your history, right? When we talk about decolonizing there, you know, there is a point in which you realize, wait a second, maybe I want to shift things. So I would love for you to share what you feel is important in this story of you uncovering this and perhaps adding some of the things you do and the work that you do. But what has your journey, this decolonizing journey been like for you? My journey started in the church. I'm a minister. My father's a minister. My grandparents were ministers. So I come from a, a family of ministers. And one of the things that happens is one of the ways that you control people is to colonize their faith, to make them think that the way that they believe is inferior. If I can subjugate your faith and make you feel that it's God's will that you're nothing, God's will that I control you, then I control you in a way, not only from a place of government, from a place of, from God. That's scary. And so I had to start my decolonization process from the church Mm -hmm. because I was taught that initially that God did not look like me. So here I am, a little black girl, and I grew up in the 60s, integrating schools, and my life was hell. I endured a lot of violence because I thought that I was at the bottom, and that's why I was That's why I was getting beat up and bullied because I thought here's the colonization that God blessed white men, white women, white boys, white girls, then black men, black women, black boys and black girls. And since I felt and I used to believe that God ran out of blessings when he got Mm. to me or when she got to me. And so my life was hard. Because God went out, you know, God was tired when God got to me. And I really believed that. And when I told my dad that, my dad took all of the pictures out of the church. Because all of the pictures were of a white Jesus and a white God. And so what happened is that the colonization started when my father said, listen, you have to understand that you are born in God's image. And I'm going to make sure you're not... You don't have unconscious or subliminal messages that God can't look like you. And so that was the first way that I started seeing that I was the image of God and God looks like me being in my gender and in my race. And that's when I started understanding how important it was because I thought that I was nothing and God just ran out of blessings and God ran out of love. Because I was at the bottom. Can you imagine that being five and six years old and thinking, well, God's all out of love. And that's why you're catching hell because Mm -hmm. God doesn't love you because you're at the bottom. So I had to change how I thought. The second thing I had to start decolonizing my mind is when I started learning uh, this messages in the Catholic school that because I was black, that I was supposed to be a slave. Mm. And so I said, wait a minute. And thank God my dad, who was a really progressive thinker, I had to understand I was not meant to be a slave to a person, but not even a slave in how we think about slave. I was, I was supposed to be a, a servant and a steward 
for God. I was supposed to be God's hands and God's feet and God's eyes on earth, right? But however, I had to decolonize my thinking because who taught me that I should be a slave? White Christianity. Hmm. So my process started with faith because faith was the center of my life. And when a person tells you that you're nothing and you think that God is co-signing that, however you understand God, you will never see yourself as powerful. You will never see yourself as loving and gifted and worthy. And then if I don't see myself as worthy, I don't see people who look like me as worthy. Mm. And that's the danger when you don't see yourself in the image of God. And then it was continuous, continuous process in other aspects of my life. But it started in what does God say about me? And then when I became a minister, I stopped reading parts of the Bible because I felt like they had been so mismanaged and pimped. <laughs> They've been pimped and um, and that I wanted people to see that they, they were born in the image of the creator. And if you understand that you are, were created in the image of your creator, you begin to understand that you are creative. But you can't do that if you feel like you that, that you're not connected, that the thread that runs through you runs through all of us. And that's where my journey started. That is so beautiful and how amazing that you had the support around you to kind of point those things out. I think one of the things with decolonization that always is for me, one of the tougher ones. And I know that you are, I mean, listen, when you read this woman's bio, she's doing all of the things, like all of the things. And I think with me, with decolonization, sometimes decolonization at work, how I work can be sometimes the toughest one, right? Because there are these quote unquote rules or ways that we're supposed to do it or interact. How does that show up for you? And how do you manage that and navigate that? Things like, you know, perfectionism or overworking or all that other stuff. It is such a relevant question, especially now Mm. for many reasons. I think the hardest challenges at work is that people have not decolonized their minds to see brilliance in packages outside of whiteness. Mm. And so I don't even have to worry about procrastination. That's way down the road. I have to worry about, do you see me as worthy as a human? Mm. Do you see that I can be bold, round, and brilliant? Mm-hmm. Do you see that because I have two marginalized identities based on my gender and my color, that I belong at the table. So I feel like I don't even get the luxury of procrastination. I don't get the luxury of imposter syndrome. Those are luxuries that mean women of color, we don't get. We are in a system that has not decolonized and opened up their understanding that brilliance comes in a whole bunch of different packages. So much of the work I do that I have to navigate in corporate America is protecting my, my sanity and protecting my wholeness in a culture that I always have to defend who I am, prove why I should be at the table, to make sure I'm not invisibilized at meetings, to make sure that I am managing and aware of people's perceptions that they have of me as a Black woman, that I make sure that even when I am excited or angry or have any type of emotion that I know that I am navigating the perspective 
of the angry Black woman. Those are the things that I have to navigate in corporate America. And it's difficult and it's draining. Mm. And so even though companies say that they are committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I do a lot of that work too in corporations as well as the company that I work for, whiteness is still being centered. Mm. And if whiteness are a Eurocentric perspective, it's still the norm. Anything that deviates from the norm is othered. Right. Anything that deviates is marginalized or has different hurdles to jump, to, to get promotion, to experience progression. So those things are still real in corporate America. And I've been in corporate America almost 40 years. And the challenge is racism doesn't change. It, mute, it doesn't go away. It mutates. Mm. And so as it is mutating, as it is becoming more subtle, more hard to, uh, to quantify yes. our ability to read the room and to navigate has to be better. Mm. But however, people ask me, why do I stay? in corporate America when it has not colonized its mind and mindset and culture, because somebody has to be on the inside. You can't change a system from the outside looking in. Somebody has to be in the game, in that system, shaking things up, challenging the status quo, asking those questions. And to me, since I'm older in my career and I can take the chances and say things that I couldn't say when I when I was in my 20s and 30s, when you get close to your 60s, you do things a little differently. And also, I feel that it is, I'm divinely protected to do it now. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, now I get people upset all the time because I challenge their ethos and people want to be challenged only to the point that, that they're comfortable. And many times people, especially Americans, have not experienced a lot of discomfort So if you have never experienced a lot of discomfort, you don't know how to hold tension. Mm. You don't know how to disagree without disconnecting. You don't know how to disagree with someone without disliking them. And those are skills that women of color are people who are disabled, LGBTQTI, people who are faith minorities, or anything that you're not in the the, the in-group. We learn how to navigate. We don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So those are the ways that how colonization is on the spectrum. But but however, that's why despite the environment, a person has to do their own decolonization work. Your decolonization work is not based on your environment, it's based on your essence. And Mm. if you don't really connect with your essence and start shedding all of the ways that you have been imposed upon, are imprisoned, are contaminated, you will never step fully in your calling, never. Wow. So, so speaking of calling, one of the things I really wanted you to speak on during this series was around this idea of decolonizing our imaginations and decolonizing our dreams. And this is something that I have been thinking about and speaking about for a while. There's a great Adrian Marie Brown quote. Have you have you read this quote, Sharon? No, but I know her. I love her work. I mean, she, she, I mean, I'm going to brutalize it. I wish I had it on hand, Um, but it's along the lines of, you know, that colonization is a colonization of once you take away someone's geography, you also take away someone's ability to dream about the future of that geography. 
And so you start to take away their innate ability to dream and to imagine of what could be, right? And she talks about how important it is for Black folks in this, in this quote, I think for all folks, to reclaim that dream space. And when I attended this workshop where we were both facilitating, when you spoke about decolonizing our imaginations and our dreams, it, it just, I had goosebumps the entire time. So I would love to just hand the platform to you and for you to speak on this topic. Yeah, whatever you feel is important for us to hear. You know, this whole part of decolonizing our imagination is such an important topic that I learned from my elders who are now my ancestors. When I started school in the late 60s, early 70s, the country was grappling with integration. And even though integration, you know, the school systems, even though it was the law, it was not the love of the people. And I remember coming home crying about something that had happened. And my elders told me, Sharon, sometimes you see better with your eyes closed. Mm. And what they were telling me and helping me understand that sometimes I have to close my eyes so I can see my potential, my promise beyond my current pain. And that's why I started learning about dreaming. They told me a lot about Martin Luther King and, and, and the power of dreaming. And so I learned that from my ancestors because these are people who had to endure lynching and black codes and Jim Crow and redlining and voter suppression, but they still had to hold on to their dreams because your dreams is where your hope lives. And so it's interesting. I just did a class on dreaming and I love to use acronyms to help us hold on to messages. And so I use the acronym DREAM and D stands for discovering your destiny, your desires, and your divinity. When we dream, when we close our eyes, we can see ourselves. We can see what God had in mind when God created us. And we get to discover that and decode who we are. Because remember, we have not been taught or we have been taught in part, you know, about who we are. So that D is for how can I develop my dreams, my destiny, my, my divinity? The R stands for how can I rid myself of cultures and customs and historical narratives and oppression? When we are dreaming, when we are able to close our eyes, we can see in part. I mean, we can see beyond in part. It's interesting. Our eyesight helps us see reality. Our insights helps us see through the soul. And so the rid means that how can I rid myself so I can see myself unencumbered with the culture and the conditions that were imposed on me. It's like, how can you see yourself flying, right? And so in my dreams, I used to see myself flying because I, I was able to rid myself of the shoulds and the shackles of the status quo. And I saw myself flying. So the R is how do you rid yourself of that indoctrination and shedding? E is how can I experience and express and embody who I really am at my soul level? Now, many times we don't know our whole history because we lost it through, through generation to generation. But I believe there's a part of our soul that is so that God protects way the bottom of our souls that we can tap into if we get quiet and if we and if we pay attention in our dreams. I know that sounds crazy, but you can really pay attention to your dreams because one of the things that we know is that God speaks to us, our creator, whoever that, that entity is. 
in symbols, in pictures, in visions. So there's a part of me that has not been touched or tainted. So what our dreams allow us to do is to experience that part of us, express that part of us. It allows us to embody that part of us. That part of us, that part of me as a kid that saw me flying, let me know that I could soar. Even in the midst of poverty, even in the midst of oppression, even in the midst of having teenage parents. And so when people ask me, Sharon, are you shocked that you do the things that you do? No, because I saw it. I didn't have for it because our soul doesn't always have language. Our mind is limited, not our souls, right? The A is for how do I, in my dreams, allow me to awake and awaken to who I really am, my gifts, my talents, my abilities, my ancestor wisdom. How can I awake and become more aware? Because what colonization does is to numb that part of us. If you can numb it, you don't notice it. And the more you don't notice how wonderful you are, the more I get to control you. But in our dreams, when our eyes close, like my elders used to say, there are parts of us that come awake, that we become awakened to our power, awakened because we see visions and, and we dream dreams, right? The M is for we mourn. We have to talk about that. The colonization process is mourning. You mourn because the more you become aware, the more you realize you're lost, what you have lost. The more you realize that you feel lost. Because you don't feel angry, like, where am I from? Who are my people? And so you, you realize that you have lost a lot. You realize that you are lost, right? But what dreams help us do is to move from that mourning, that lamenting, to mattering. So it means like, okay, I'm going to mourn what I lost, but what is left that matters? What do I have left that's meaningful, that I could try to the best of my ability to recreate what I was lost. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be, it can be meaningful. It can matter. So, so in my dreams, sometimes I cry. I think a lot of people cry in their dreams. They're, they're grieving. And the more you learn, the more you grieve. And then the S is for in my dreams, one of the things that I, I ask people in myself to pay attention to is that our dreams, we get to see we get to see visions and illustrations and symbols. We get to sense the spirit. Sometimes I don't know my power, but I sense it. I sense my ancestors around. And some of my, sometimes in my dreams, I dream that I'm floating, but somebody's carrying me. And so we sense it. And so when you see, when you sense, then you can seize, meaning you can take back them. And so I think it's a process that people have to be taught. And we do that in community. Because my story helps me, but my story helps you. Shireen, your story helps you, your story helps me. And then we start to appreciate our common humanity. And we also start to appreciate that one of the ways we love each other is to help each other recapture and practice the pieces that help us feel whole. You know, um, Carnell West said that Justice is what love looks like out loud. So I'm always thinking about how can I be in, in settings where my indigenous friends are doing their culture and I, I celebrate that. Many of my friends will celebrate Eid. Mm. Eid I'm going to go with them and I'm going to put on my hijab 
not because, you know, I don't want to cover up because I want to honor their culture. I, I, and I have friends of all different types of faiths and religions and celebrations. But when we allow people to experience who they are and we share in that with them, that's when we build bridges. And dreaming that helps us do that because dreaming allows you to get in touch with your full humanity so that you can honor your humanity and honor the humanity of others. And dreaming helps us do that. Wow. <laughs> that was so incredible. On this last point, you know, what I'm hearing you say is almost with this sense of dreaming is that there has to be a sense of, especially for those of us who are trying to reclaim our dream space, a sense of safety. If you're new to the practice, which it sounds like you are not, this is, and also for me, I've had to work on it, but at the beginning, it can feel so scary to step outside of that box that people have told you or you have thought is your box. I agree. We have to manage that fear in the morning and also the rage. Mm. That rage is real. And I find that when many people start dreaming or start what I call unleashing their imagination and let their imagination not only wander, but wander, right? And we got to manage that rage because that rage, what happens, not only it will burn you up, but it will burn everything you touch up, right? And I find that's the hardest part, providing a safe community where you can cry, where you can ask mm. questions, where you can handle your rage and your anger, where you can grieve and have a, a ritual or practice of metabolizing. I'm moving that grief to your body that, that means something to you. You mm. know, one of the things I feel like we don't do well is when we are activating our imagination, are activating those ancestral parts of us. We want people to do it in one way, which is emotional imperialism, which is a form of a colonization, right? And so instead of just saying, you know, I ask people, how can I be here with you? And, mm. and they do a dance and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it with you. It, it, and, it's, it's, and I don't have to know because the mind doesn't know what the spirit knows anyway. So I just participate. And even if I don't understand, I'm healed just because of, because I'm connecting with people on that level, on a very vulnerable, loving, personal, but also communal level. And I think that's why it's so important for us to do the imagination and be in communities and understand, too, that people are going to be awakening at different speeds and different seasons. And I think sometimes I see this now. I'm interested if you see it, Sharon. Some people who are having quicker awakenings, sometimes it's easy to fall into judgment. Like, you know, you why aren't you further along? And why are you still walking in that colonization mindset? Why are you not challenging the systems and the ethos that you grew up in? But the challenge is, it's kind of like this. If you swim a long time in toxic water, the while that toxic water is swimming in you. Mm. And you don't realize it. It's kind of like a fish doesn't know that they swim in water. Yeah. So we have to give grace to allow people to come to their awakening at their own speed. But it's okay if you need to leave that person because you want to keep growing. You don't have to like wait, wait up for someone because you never know why you are, you have, you've been accelerated. Maybe you are being accelerated because you're going to be leading the movement. Maybe you are being accelerated because you are going to be in a leadership role and you can't lead people if you if you don't have something to give. Right? You got to feed people information and motivation and inspiration. And so 
we have to be okay that we have different speeds and different seasons. So it's individual and communal simultaneously, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So I'm curious, what does your practice look like? How do you tap into your imagination, your dream space? Do you have rituals or things that you do or time that you spend in a certain way to kind of really tap into that part of you? Oh, what a great question. And it happens in many ways. I'm very introverted. I know people won't know that. I'm very introverted. And I spend a lot of time alone because I get downloads all the time because I've asked for them. Because remember, ask, wisdom is not about age. Wisdom is about asking. And so I ask for wisdom. And sometimes it hits me that I, I cannot even do anything else. And I just write. Mm. I write at, um, post-it notes. I write whatever comes down. And even if I don't understand it, I know I will when it's time for me to understand it. So I spend time, dedicated time in the morning, dedicated time at nighttime, but then I'm always asking for downloads. And mm-hmm. I say, you can trust me, whatever you tell me, I'll share, you know, but I also do it in the shower. It could be something like that. You know, um, sometimes or I see a symbol, or I see something fly. But when you are looking to and asking to be woken up, I think that we have to be open that it will happen when it happens mm. and be open to it and name it. I think sometimes we, we don't call forth things because we don't, we want certainty. Yeah. Yeah. Calling forth our ancestors. They don't just say, Hey, can I come over? It's not like that. You know, the, the ancestors are seeing what we need before we need it. Our God mm. is seeing. However, somebody wants to say that. And we are always surrounded. Here's the faith part by, by a cloud of witnesses. Mm. Right? And so since I believe that, I believe that I, when I'm walking around, there are always people with me. You know, I love that saying that, that says walk in the room like your ancestors sent you. So I walk in the room, not only like they sent me, but they with me. And so I'm always aware that I don't have to, I don't have to know everything, but it will be given to me when I need it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I sometimes I don't know how I know stuff. People like, how do you know? I don't know. Like I see people that I said, I know you. I've never seen them before, but I know in my dreams, sometimes my dreams let me see people. Then I see them three years later. I'm like, oh my God, I saw you three. And people look at me like, this girl is crazy. But I say, I trust my dreams. That's one of the things we have to do about our imagination, Sharon. We got to trust that we're seeing what we're seeing. Because mm. it's not, you know, trusting your imagination, your dreams is a muscle. And if yes. you don't trust it, yes. you'll never be looking and open to receiving those divine downloads or, ha- or having what I call supernatural wisdom. I trust it. I'm like, give me some of this. What do I need? So I'm always looking for it, you know, because I, I expect it. Because mm. I expect that I know that I'm a vessel and like you are, because that's how I found you. You were a vessel to me. Mm. I think that God universe, however we want to put on it, led me to you. I didn't know you and I saw your work. And then I just started going through your whole page, got on your um, mailing list, you know, reading your emails when you send them out and you speak to me. I'm like, how does she know that I needed to hear this? And every time you send something, I feel like you're talking directly to me. How do you know that? Somebody told you to write what you write, you what you wrote. Mm. So I believe that. So I'm always open to messages coming from every place because I welcome them. You're open to it. And I think that that sense of openness allows you to experience 
insight and wisdom and knowing in in a real deep, deep way. That's that's unexplainable, right? Really absolutely unexplainable. And I think that we all just got to experience that in in this time together. Like I felt being a witness to this, being able to see you, people can hear you. I'm sure they can hear it. I absolutely know they can hear it. It's it's almost like you are channeling these thoughts and these ideas that that we get to have the privilege to hear. It's just, it's incredible. Well, I'm just grateful that I have this opportunity. I'm grateful that that you create a safe place and also a sacred place. Mm-hmm. And I think that many times the more we get healed, the more we reclaim who we are, the more that we decolonize not only our minds, but our souls, but our spirits, but our faith practices, that the more we uh, decolonize how we engage with each other. And so we stop trying to manipulate each other or dominate each other and be together, the more receptive we will be mm. to all of the beautiful ways that nature, God, universe speaks to us. And I think that is a huge aspect of decolonizing. You know, it is trusting in the downloads we get, the, the knowing, the unexplainable, and following that. And I feel like you are such, a, again, a testament of that and such an inspiration to me in awe of you. I have one more question before, before we close up and you share with everyone how they can find you, because I'm sure everyone is like, I need to be listening to this woman all of the time. Sharon, what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone out there, like maybe something that you wish you had embodied earlier, or that really is a, is a North star for you now, but what is one piece of advice that you would offer someone or just an idea or a knowing or a wisdom? Oh, great. What a, that's a hard question. I know. Cause there's so many. I think the first thing that I would tell people is to have a healthy disregard for everything that they, that they have ever learned or who they are. It's a healthy disregard to appreciate that tradition is not the truth and facts are not the truth either. And to question everything and to, and, and everybody, and to know the more you study, you have to study. Because I think many times people want to decolonize. You got to study. You got to know history. You got to know history, religion, because people get you with history and religion mm. and also and, and economics, right? Because many times there's a saying that the history is always written by the hunter, not the hunted. Mm-hmm. And so if we want to decolonize, we have to say, what did the hunted say? What was their experience? What did a lion say? How did a lion feel in that experience? What was the lion thinking? Where's the lion's family? We hear about mm-hmm. the hunter. And so we have to study. And when we are researching, we have to read the same event by different people. A part of my decolonization process. So I learned history, but white history through the white lens in school. So I learned black history in, in church, right? Because mm. my father didn't play that. Then I learned Native American history written by a Native American. When I read about the tale of um, the trial of tears, I don't want to hear about what the white settlers say. I want to hear what the indigenous people say, the Native American people say, the African, because many times we're working together. And so we have to make sure that we're reading different voices because Mm -hmm. what colonization does is lift up one group 
experts over the other group. And we have to make sure when we research that we understand that the spoken word is just as powerful as the written word. Mm-hmm. Eurocentric, this Eurocentric way is like the written word is the most important. But in our traditions, things are passed down by the spoken word. So that's what I would say. Educate yourself. Get a lot of different voices from a lot of different sources. Don't elevate research over storytelling. Know that you have been taught to demonize who you are and demonize Mm -hmm. your wisdom. So make sure that you don't demonize something you don't know about yet. Mm. And get into a healthy community. I know you said one thing, but the second thing is get into a healthy community because when you are decolonizing, the truth is always somewhere in the conversation. Nobody owns the, has the market on truth. But if we get with people who have different voices, different perspectives, and, and make sure we are critical thinkers, that we are following our own conscience and not the crowd, then the truth will rise to the top. Because remember, the truth doesn't need protection. Truth needs excavation. But so I think that's really, really important because I think some people think that they can decolonize in a silo. <laughs> you don't do that. You can't. You need, you, need you need the right community, the right community. And that's what I would tell people to do. Oh my goodness. Yes. You, you, uh, you can offer all the wisdom. You can just give us more, whatever you got. That was so <laughs> powerful. I would love for you to share where folks can find you. What are the platforms that you hang out on? Everything is my name, Sharon Jamison, in my website, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I'm not on LinkedIn a lot, even though I'm still in corporate America, because LinkedIn makes that corporate part of me rise to the top. And, and that's not the part of me. That's the best part of me is the spiritual part of me, the friend part of me, the liberator part of me. So I'm not on LinkedIn a lot purposefully. And, but yes, I would love for people to connect with me. I have a newsletter that I would love for people to, to connect me with. I, will, I mean, to sign up for, I would love that. And then I have a couple of coaching programs. One is called Rooted to Rise where I talk about how do we get rooted in who we are, not who society has taught and told us to be. Um, I have one called You Can Depend on You. It's based on my first book. And that's when I really talk about a lot of the things that I went through as a Black little girl in a white system in Missouri. I talk about that. And uh, so we talk about indoctrination and how we have been indoctrinated and how to to heal that, which is decolonization. And then my program that I spent a lot of time on is the six-month program is I Dare to Be Me. Mm. And that's a program for visionaries, leaders, change agents, parents, people who say, I dare to be who I am and not who I was taught to be. Because even though people might have success, they won't have satisfaction. Because satisfaction only comes through the soul. And so we'll, we help people say, what would make you happy in this season? And so that's what I dare to be. I dare to be me is about helping people dare to be who they, who they want to be. Amazing. And we will have all of that information also in the show notes. So people can get on your email list, sign up for all your programs and just be in your presence. It's, it's such, I always say this to people. I really admire. I feel grateful to be in your orbit. Just to be in your orbit, it's 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 just been so incredible to spend this time with you. Thank you so much, Sharon. This has been such a gift for me and the community. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for the work you do in the world and for being an inspiration to me. I'm grateful to you.
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe or follow where you love listening most. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser or Podcast Addict. Until next week, love.